I'm Ivy Joeva, and this is the future of food. How can you contribute to real change, one garden, one neighborhood at a time? Here to put that power in your hands, along with some dirt and seeds, is my guest, Loretta Allison. Loretta co-founded Fig Earth Nursery Supply in Los Angeles, and she runs monthly gardening workshops to support and teach people about how to grow their own food and medicine. If you've ever wondered about the value of growing your own food, here's your chance to find out why and how from Loretta. Now my conversation with Loretta Allison. So Loretta, you're a leader in the urban gardening movement here in LA. What sparked this as a passion for you? I think it really started when I was a kid, you know, so I always just enjoyed being out in the garden. My mom was a gardener. That was a huge part of what I did. And also it was my chore. It was my chore to go outside and water all the plants. It took an hour. And I often did this in like the early morning, like in the summer, you know, it was my summer chore. So I developed an intimacy with plants that I probably would have gotten otherwise, you know. And then it kind of throughout the years, it came and it went, you know, I went to college, I came back, I had a few little gardens along the way. I have a background in floral design. So originally, that was one of the main, um, one of my main attractions is that I found nature so gorgeous and so beautiful. And then I had a background in media. So that was like, that was part of my job to focus on plant trends, wellness trends, um, you know, herbal, herbal medicinal trends. And, um, and that's part of, that's part of how it started. Yeah. It sounds like you kind of combined your passion um, for urban gardening with your experience in media because you're really a messenger for this movement in the world. That's true. I'm very keen on communication, and that's probably one of my gifts, and it's also one of my joys. So when I did have my background in media and I was doing art direction and photo editing and I had to convey a message visually it sort of transferred into something different when I became a parent. So when I became a parent and I had my son, my world kind of slowed down for a second and my worldview changed. And I think that happens with a lot of parents. And I kind of stumbled into urban agriculture and into the urban gardening movement. And I really started off selling plants when a fellow art director friend of mine um, started the Altadena Farmer's Market. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was kind of like this underground hipster artisanal, you know, market. And he asked me if I wanted to grow plants. And I was like, sure. Cause at the time I was, I was hanging out with my kid. I was chopping up blueberries into quarters every day at five o'clock in the morning. And I wanted something more toothsome. I wanted to re- re-engage with the adult world. And I always had a passion for plants. You know, even when I was working in the office, I was like growing tomatoes and like passing them out to people and like taking orders and like knew all about heirloom tomatoes. And I was the plant person. I was the plant mama, you know. So when I had a kid and when he asked me, part of my motivation was that so that I could pay for my child's preschool. Mm. That was really part of the initial motivation. I was like, this is awesome. I could do something that I love and I can take care of my kid in a way that I really want to and give him the education that I wanted to. So I think that being a parent is like a huge motivation really for how I started. And I think with gardening, it's like once you're in, and I always joke, like gardening's like the mafia. It's like <laughs> once you're in, there's no getting out, you know? So, so has he yeah. has he taken this passion on? What's, what's he has he's 11 I mean, now, right? He's eleven, you know, so he's definitely into like his video games and you know, um, that's kind of a newer thing, but definitely in working with him and just being around it, you know, just being around the garden or being given little like garden chores like go outside and like harvest these herbs I know that it will have an impact like every little every little small drop counts Mm -hmm. you know and what do you see as that impact of the urban gardening movement like what's the what's your vision of the kind of change in the world you'd like to see and how do you see urban gardening contributing to that change well first of all gardening is very meditative right? So it's like when you're gardening, you're slowing down, you know, it's a form of meditation, and you're working with plant material, and being in that state, it's like you are changing your consciousness. So I think that the more you do it, you really develop kind of some different um, virtues, you know, you kind of develop more patience, maybe a little bit more compassion, maybe a little bit more loving kindness, some more tenderness, you know, ideally in an ideal world, you know, but I think that 
it really, it changes the way you think about things and certainly the way you think about food. Because once you, when you're gardening, you know that it's like, okay, it takes like two months to grow cauliflower. I'm going to really appreciate this cauliflower, mm. you know, or it's like, wow, it takes like a month to grow a radish. I'm really going to appreciate this radish. Maybe I should think about respecting um, other people and their craft around me and really take, taking that into account. Maybe mm -hmm. I should think about my local farmer, you know, and knowing knowing how, what hard work it is, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. As opposed to going to the store and you can just get a bag of pre-cut cauliflower, say, and not really think yeah. about necessarily where it And I, I think that we're so disconnected. We often don't think about this type of thing, but we also don't think of other conscious living beings. You know, mm -hmm. we don't, we just don't, mm -hmm. I find. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. so speaking of conscious living beings, my understanding is that in certain kinds of agriculture, you really look at all the beings that mm -hmm. went into making this food, not just the actual plant, but the microbes and mm. all kinds of different living organisms in the soil. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the different kinds of approaches to this. I yeah. know you have a background in something called horticulture and permaculture. Yeah. So for our listeners who might not be familiar with those terms, what what is that and how is that connected to this idea of regenerative agriculture? So horticulture really just means anything related to the cultivation, like any cultivation that's taking place in a garden or a farm. It's really simple. It's just like anything you're doing outside in a garden. That's simply horticulture. Permaculture is a little bit different. So permaculture, you can think of it as kind of... Um, holistic environmental design that works with natural patterns or patterns found in nature or mimics patterns found in nature. A lot of people also consider permaculture indigenous wisdom that's mm. been repackaged and sold back to us for a wow. nice little price tag of like a couple thousand dollars for a permaculture certificate. But I also like to think of it as like just plain old common sense, designing with plain old common sense. Common sense that we've kind of lost. Common yeah. sense that we've lost. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And there's certain um, principles that are part. There's like 12 permaculture principles. Some are recognizing patterns, recognizing patterns in nature. And by the way, all these principles really serve us in our larger in life in general hmm. as well, too. Um, so recognizing patterns is one. Um, observing just observing and interacting without judging, just observing. You know, when you're out there in nature, in the world, you're, you're just observing, right? Mm. Um, paying attention to the feedback that you're getting, like the feedback loop, you know, like what can we just take something at face value without getting caught up in it and just kind of, and know that it's just, it's just some feedback and then we can make adjustments from there. Mm. Um, but those are some of the basic ones, you know, and also, you know, um, harvesting, um, harvesting our resources around us, you know, it's like harvesting without losing them, you know, so that we can create what's called a closed loop, right? Mm -hmm. So any inputs, any outputs become inputs and inputs become outputs and anything that goes into the system never leaves the system, it stays in the system. So minimizing waste. Yeah, minimizing waste, mm -hmm. exactly. And so when it comes to the, the second principle, I think you said was observing. Yeah, what would that look like in a, in a gardening sense? Just noticing like cause and effect of what you're doing with the soil or? It could be cause and effect, but that's, that's, you know, for sure. It could be any cause and effect, but say, for example, I noticed that, you know, when I plant this particular plant kind of more in a shady area, I noticed that the leaves become thinner mm. and there's more holes in it. Right. Mm. So it's like, oh, okay. But when I plant that same plant in the sun, it, the leaves, the leaf cuticle is stronger. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's, it's more, it's just healthier and it doesn't have any pests on it. Right. Got it. So I would look at that plant and I go, oh, okay. You know what? That plant, that plant wants to be there in the sun. This plant doesn't want to be there in the shade. It's just like basic observation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's meditation. You know, that's really what it is. Yeah. And it yeah. sounds like kind of developing a relationship with what you're growing where you're it receiving is a communication. A Absolutely. Based on what it's telling you. Absolutely. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the difference between this approach and what we're calling regenerative agriculture? Is, is Would you say permaculture is 
synonymous with regenerative agriculture? Is it part of the same movement? I mean, they're kind of, they are similar, but regenerative agriculture is really leaving the land better than when you found it, you know, and really healing the land, you know. Permaculture to me is more about like completing the loop within a system, you know, and permaculture doesn't have to be agriculture. So, oh, so it could be flowers and... Um, it does, but it's like, it's not agriculture in the sense where you're growing crops to feed people, you mm-hmm. know, it doesn't always have to be like something can be part of a permaculture design, like a building can be designed permaculturally, I right? See. So it's not necessarily about plants, gardening, agriculture. Okay. So yeah. it's more of a philosophy. It's a philosophy, but it's like, you can kind of think, you can think of it as like, um, holistic environmental design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the the principles can be applied to gardening. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And then you also talk about biodynamics Mm -hmm. in in your work with plants. Yeah. So tell us about that. And is it the same thing as organic or what's the difference? It's not. Okay. So organic. So let's like do definitions. So organic basically just means it's like you're given a list of pesticides, fungicides, herbicides and fertilizers that you can't use, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you don't use those things, you can get certified as organic, Mm -hmm. right? Or you can get your land cert, anything like that. So that, and that's just very basic and simple, but we also think of it in the vernacular as, um, uh, you know, it's become slang for just like clean. It's just like grown cleanly, clean and safe. That's mm-hmm. kind of, I feel like, what it means Without these a days. bunch of chemicals. Without and, a bunch of chemicals, yeah. even though in organic agriculture, you can use, you can use organic chemicals, you know, that break down more easily and more quickly than synthetic chemicals would be, you know, mm-hmm. synthetics or chemicals. So biodynamics is a little bit different. It's way more woo-woo, way more esoteric. Um, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Um, so biodynamics is, it's both like a set of practices, but it's also an ideology. And, um, it was divined by Rudolf Steiner, like in the 1920s. So say for an, say for example, you had snails really just like invading your garden, right? Which would tell you automatically that there was an imbalance in the system. So like in biodynamics, what biodynamic theory would tell you, mm-hmm. it would be, you know, take the snails and you would probably make like a slurry, right? You make a slurry so you would maybe like ferment the snails, drown them, blend them oh all up. Oh my god. <laughs> I asked you if you guys were ready for we, this. We are ready. We're just... That's, so a slurry of snails. A slurry of snails. Okay. And you would spread that all over the garden, right? Or say you had like a hard... To get rid of the snails. Yeah, to get rid of the snails. Because they don't want to be in a, in a slurry of snails. No, who wants to hang out like that? Nobody no. wants to hang out, you know? Oh my goodness. Um, so there's a lot of ashing. So it's like if there was like a, a hard-shelled insect or something, say there were like bagratas or something like that, you would burn them and ash them and spread the ashes. I'm giving you all the gruesome stuff. No, but this though, is good. But it's this really, is good. it's this so is interesting. And this is where I usually lose people when I start, I lose people when I start talking about like signs, like signs of the moon. But um, there's also biodynamic compost, which, which is super mainstream. You can find this on the market almost anywhere. That is cow dung, right? It's cow mm-hmm. poop mm-hmm. Um, that is treated with six, home, like homeopathic doses of six herbs, right? Okay. So, um, wait for it. So the herbs are harvested when the moon is in a certain, you know, situation, phase, yeah. phase or whatever. And um, so the herbs are harvested and then they're stuffed into usually cow horns and then they're buried when the moon is in another phase harvested when the moon is in another phase and then they're added to the cow dung and composted and it creates incredible compost wow yeah and you know the proof is kind of in the pudding with this because this is not a fringe thing this has been around since like the turn of the century I mean, yeah, like yeah. 1920s, but it's okay. like, I mean, I always look to what's on the market. Mm-hmm. And so there's about like three or four, I think there's four in Los Angeles. There's four producers of biodynamic compost. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So it's, it's pretty mainstream. It's pretty main, it's expensive though. So it's a little cost prohibited, I would say, for the average person who is starting out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And biodynamics is huge in Germany. I mean, I was just in Freiburg about a year ago mm-hmm. and at the farmer's market, every other stand was mm-hmm. biodynamics. Mm-hmm. Rudolf Steiner was Austrian. Um, and he was originally a philosopher that developed a pretty extensive philosophy of education. Oh, and, totally. Um, so biodynamic food was just one part of a larger just completely. philosophy exactly. of life. Exactly. Yeah. And it's funny because when, when I was first starting out as well, and I wanted to, I was sending my son to a Waldorf preschool. That's why I had to go to the farmer's market and sell my plants. And that's when I was learning about biodynamics. And they both kind of dovetailed into this interest. For me personally, it all kind of blossomed at once. And, mm. that, and I just had no clue. I had no clue that it, like Waldorf was associated with Rudolf Steiner. Wow. Yeah. It all came together. Yeah. And so as someone who really mm. is in the garden, you know, you're mm-hmm. getting your hands dirty there. Do you see a difference when you apply these principles from biodynamics? I do. I definitely do. And I don't do slurries. I don't do ashing. You know, it's like I'm a pretty typical Los Angeles resident. Modified I mean, biodynamics. Kind of mo- modified, you know. <laughs> biodynamic light. Biodynamic, yeah. well, biodynamic medium, maybe. Okay. But, but I for sure use biodynamic compost. And when I've created biodynamic compost piles, and I want to say really for your listeners that people can find the preps themselves and create their own modified version of biodynamic compost really by going to Josephine Porter, Josephine Porter's website and getting the preps themselves and doing it at home. And I often recommend this to clients or people in workshops that they can do this. The preps are like these tiny little envelopes that are filled with like little tiny doses and you mix them with water and you create, you create a mixture and then you put it on top of your compost. You, you basically, you saturate your compost with them and it creates the most incredible compost. And every time, that I work with biodynamic compost or like I think the first time I created a biodynamic compost pile it was almost it was a spiritual experience like I could feel it like the the vibes were intense you know in a really really beautiful way you Hmm. know and every time that I do do like a foliar feed with biodynamic compost which is basically you take the compost and you would soak it overnight Stir, 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 get in a lot of, you know, air to grow the microbes, strain it and spray it on my plants at night. The next day I walk out into the garden and my plants are like sparkling and just really just high vibrational. Yeah. So interesting. Definitely more esoteric. Okay. So so (laughs) do you actually notice a difference in terms of like less pests or... I do. I do. Because anytime, but also it's like any, you don't have to do this, but anytime it's like you were working on the health of the soil, you were working on the entire health of the garden. Mm -hmm. So, so Mm -hmm. really it's, it's about the soil, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so let's talk about that when it comes to food, because Mm -hmm. do you think that having soil like this really nutrient rich high living organism content kind of soil Mm -hmm. makes a difference in the actual micronutrient contract content of the foods. Oh, absolutely. Everything with gardening is about the soil. You know, I like to say that the soil is the soul of the garden. And I always encourage people to throw their time, money, and energy into the soil. Like the soil is number one. You know, you take care of the soil, you grow the soil, and the plants will grow. You never have to worry about it. So absolutely. And the more organic matter you add to the soil, the more beneficial microbes there are in the soil and the more beneficial microbes there will be in your plants or on the surface of the leaves, you know. Wow, that's huge because we're Mm -hmm. really learning more just from a health perspective in terms of the importance of the microbiome. Yeah. And so much of our food is completely devoid of these living organisms, even on an organic farm, right? Yeah, I mean, organic is a step above conventional agriculture, you know, but really growing it yourself is really always the best solution or really, you know, knowing your farmer, you know, knowing your farmer and knowing their practices. But the only way you can really be sure is really by growing it yourself. Yeah. And so if you go to the farmer's market Mm -hmm. and, you know, a lot of the stands don't say they're organic Mm -hmm. and 
my understanding is that a lot of times the smaller family farms mm -hmm. can't afford that organic yeah. certification. It's a lengthy process. But they might still mm -hmm. be actually practicing farming with principles that sometimes could be even better than the minimum standards to certify as organic. So how do you know, like what questions could someone ask their local farmer at the farmer's market to know yeah. what kind of food they're getting? Right. So questions that you would want to ask, like you would want to ask about what they do about pests. Like, are they using chemicals? Like, and really try and dig in there as much as possible because they're probably going to assume that you don't know that much. But like, are you using neem? Are you using a soapy spray? Or what do you do about aphids? What do you do about scale? What do you do about fungal pathogens? Like, what do you do about rust? Or what do you do about you know, whatever, verticillium wilt, you know, you can name out, you know, name some things. You can also ask them, what are they doing to feed their soil? Are they using chemical fertilizers? How often do they add compost? Um, do they bring in more compost? Or are they just composting using compost from the farm? But I would try and get as nitty gritty as possible. Okay. Yeah. And what kind of answers are you looking for? Like, would it be better if they're bringing in compost or just using compost? You the want farm? them to bring as much organic matter in as possible. So okay. if they're really paying attention to the soil, they mm -hmm. are bringing in more organic matter than their farm can produce. Because most, like sustainability is a little bit of a, of a myth. You know, mm -hmm. it's a little bit of like an oasis in the desert, like sustainability, it does, it's not really truly functional. It's like, at least at the beginning of when you have a system or a farm or a garden, you're going to have to to bring in outside inputs so right. yeah so as much as organic matter as possible what, what is question. the role of animals in agriculture this way like is it better yeah. would you say that like manure from a cow say is a superior fertilizer to just straight up vegetable compost yeah, actually I would. And that's part of that's part of the system, you know, in both in both permaculture and in, in biodynamics as well, too, because animals definitely play a role. You know, their poop as they poop, you know, we all have microbes in our stomach as they digest, you know, we are treated to a range of different microbes, you know, so the microbes of a cow are going to be different than the microbes of a horse. They're going to be different than the microbes of like a bunny, microbes of worms, you know, they're going to be different as well, too. So yeah, no, so animals definitely play a, a part, and they give us completely nitrogen rich um, fertilizer that can be or poop that can be composted down and used to enrich the soil. So yeah, animals are huge. So when people are asking these questions about the kinds of pest control, what mm -hmm. would be an answer that would be like a good answer where you'd be greenlit to, okay, this is a farm I want to support? Mm, you would, well, you would ask them, wait, hold on a second. Let me think about that. Cause I'm like, just trying to recall my conversations with um, with just like farmers mm -hmm. that it's like that I used to talk with at the farmers market, mm -hmm. you know. And well, maybe a better question is, what do you do to control pests? That is a really good question. So I don't do that much, quite frankly. I just kind of let it happen, and um, and I take it as part of the feedback. So I know that if I'm having like a pest outbreak, you know, I know that that plant isn't being given what it needs to fully like function. You because know? the pests so, attack unhealthy plants. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So um, with the exception of say like, yeah, there's always going to be aphids on kale, you know, and I'm just going to smush them and I'm going to rinse them off and that's it. And mm -hmm. I'm going to move along my day, you know, so. Extra protein. Uh, extra protein. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but but it's more, I think, kind of like for, for other people, it's more for like the ick factor because people are like, what is this? Like I just got a text like and somebody was like, what is this? Can I eat it? They sent a picture of like a garden or like a, a, a plant and a, a lettuce in a garden that we had just um, put in and they're like what is this and I'm like it's just an aphid like you know it's all just rinse it off move along just eat it it's all good it's all food mm -hmm. you know so yeah yeah I remember we had a garden growing up my my siblings and I and we would be 
you know, just distraught to find that, like, as soon as something would grow, like before it was even ripe. Sometimes it、yeah. was just, you know, the squirrels got the apricots. Or <laughs> so that's. I mean, mammals are definitely a larger part of like of the LA of what's going on in Los Angeles right now.、Mm-hmm. Like, rats are really a problem.、Mm-hmm. Um, Squirrels and possums and raccoons—they're kind of around, but I would say rats are probably like one of the larger problems going and happening in Los Angeles right now.、Hmm. Yeah.、Hmm. So, where do you see this movement headed? This urban gardening movement—how how, how、uh, prolific has it been here in Los Angeles?、Um, I think that it's just going to get bigger and bigger. You know,、um, and as like wellness trends increase, you know, as more people are vegan, as more people are more interested in their own self care and in their own health,、um, it's only going to get larger and larger. You know, and it, you know, part of it too, it's like back to the meditation thing. It's like it's it's something that makes everybody so happy. Like gardening makes people happy. It feels good to go get your hands in the earth. You know,、mm-hmm. the soil. Soil is an antidepressant. When you put your hands on the soil, the microbes in the soil react with your skin, and it has an antidepressant quality. You know,、wow. so we literally get to ground ourselves. You know,、mm-hmm. so I think it's only going to get larger and larger. And、um, gardening is not—it's not the same as it was like 20 years ago when it was more of like a grandma thing. You、mm-hmm. know, so I think it's gone—it's gotten a lot sexier. And I think that there's a few more、um, stylized nurseries that are a lot more curated and that are more mixed in with like the art and music scene. And I think that has a lot to do with it. And I think people are also more interested in habitat than they were before. So you see. A lot more like native nurseries, native plant nurseries,、mm. and I think also the rise of social media. So I personally see that just from Instagram, like communities are able to connect more, and people are able to connect more. And I know when I was first starting off, I just. We just all started following each other on Instagram, and then it's like you would see somebody in an event, and then you would become friends, and then all of a sudden you have like a little community, you know. So amazing! Yeah. What would you say is the main demographic of your clients? For example, like the people that come to you with、mm. for support, starting their gardens at home. Is it is it young people? Is it old people? Are they wealthy? I would say it's probably.、Um, People that are people that actually ask for installs are probably in their forties and fifties because they can afford it because it's a little bit of a luxury to have somebody come to your house and set everything up for you.、Mm-hmm. Or they're people. I get a lot of like DIYers who are probably in their twenties and thirties, or new homeowners in their twenties or thirties who ask me for consultations. And so I kind of go there and I'll sort them out. You know, so that's another demographic. But I would say that age range is typical. Typically, people they're trying to do it on their own.、Mm-hmm. You know, they're typically、mm-hmm. trying to do it on their their own for sure. And what、yeah. would that look like, like for for someone who just wants to get started and doesn't、yeah. know how to start? What what advice would you give them? I would say start small and scale up. You know, so maybe start if you actually have like a plot of land. You know, add some organic matter to it. You know, you can get a couple bags of you know soil amendment. Throw it in there and start really small and scale up. Start with what you love to eat. You know, first of all, find out if it's in season. So know your seasons. Okay. Sometimes people will ask me, like, I just want to grow cucumbers, and I'm like, that's great, but it's January, so it's a little bit too cold for cucumbers. So know your seasons, you know, and know what to plant when. And and I love to start people off with just really simple Mediterranean herbs, drought tolerant herbs. You know, throw them in the ground. They're always going to be pretty forgiving of whatever if you you know start to neglect them, and they're. They're always usually they're super medicinal, so. And can you plant those any time of year here? In sure, any perennial you can plant all year round. And perennial it's, means it's it grows all year long. It never dies. It never sets seed and dies. So it grows all year round. But usually it's like with our LA climate, it's going to go through like a period of dormancy. So it's kind of not really going to be growing that much, depending on the weather. You know, in December or January. You know,、okay. like when it's its coldest. You know, like the darkest month. 
So you shouldn't get discouraged if it goes underground for a while. Yeah. I see people have a lot of high expectations or they think that because we can get something at the supermarket year round that we can grow it year round. Because if the farmers are growing it, then they can grow it too. But the farmers are just really meeting our demand for out of season produce, right? Probably because it's being shipped from And it's being shipped or they're, you know, they're hooping and heating, you know, their houses Mm. or, you know, yeah. So, yeah. And for someone who is a home gardener, Mm -hmm. how do they protect their space from, say, you know, the gardener next door who might be spraying Roundup or... Is, is that a concern to have, like, if, if, for example, if I wanted to plant some herbs in my garden that's right next to the lawn, and I know that, you know, maybe a year ago, the gardener there who owned the yeah. land had put chemicals in the soil, could my food be absorbing that? Yeah, there, there's always that possibility. And I would just say move it. I would just say move it and find another area. Um, you could, um, you could talk to the gardener. You could talk to, you know, you could talk to your neighbor, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would just move it for your own safety. Mm-hmm. Um, you could also try a raised bed. Right. So a lot of people use raised beds when um, when they have tested their soil and they know that maybe there's like some heavy metals or something in their soil. So they're going to build up, you know, so the roots aren't going to absorb anything because they're just not tapping into that soil. Um, it's definitely a concern, but I would say it's not one of it shouldn't be just like the standard person's main concern. I I think that people should really just focus on just grow stuff. Just see what happens. Make mistakes. um, Consider it grown up play. You know, a lot of people get so bogged down with like they have to do it right or they're going to get graded or it's like another another thing to do perfectly or or it's another Instagram photo op, you know. (laughs) So it's like just get in there and just really consider it like grown up play, you know, and just have fun and don't be afraid to make mistakes and know and consider failure just like one, one step closer, you know, and just enjoy it and spend time, you know, spend time with the plants, you know. Would you recommend for everyone across the board to test their soil before getting started to make sure that there's no heavy metals or can you test for chemicals like Roundup? You can certainly send your soil to labs, you know, and have it tested or I always tell people not to plant close to the wall of a house because of like old lead paint. Um, You know, you should know like the age of your home, you know, mm -hmm. so newer homes are probably not going to have that, that problem. Mm -hmm. But again, it's like, it's, it goes back to the soil. So really whatever issue there is with the soil, um, by adding more organic matter, that's going to help remediate your soil. Even in the cases of heavy metals? If, if you have like any sort of doubt, I would say get it tested. But the answer is always organic matter. And organic like matter always. just means living. It means like soil. compost, okay. you know, soil amendment. Um, it can mean well composted manure, you okay. know. So, yeah. Great. That's yeah. super helpful. So if someone were to make a raised bed, what would be the ingredients in it? They want to have some dirt and some organic matter and then are they good to go? You could, I mean, there's places that you can order um, bulk soil to fill a raised bed, or you can use bag soil, which is probably the safest in terms of like pathogens. Um, And then you could add like your goodies on top of that, you know, so it's like you could add your biodynamic compost. If you wanted to add an extra boost of minerals, you could add something called azomite. Um, I love to add like humic acid, crab meal. Um, those are some of my favorites. Neem, you know, neem is wonderful. It's um, a plant, right? Neem is, yeah, neem is like a huge tree, like from India. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's really wonderful as well, too, to help build the soil and prevent pathogens in the future. Um, but again, for remediation, it's like, it's all, yeah, for anything, anything that's happening in, in, in the soil, it's always about organic matter, you know? Beautiful. And that can actually heal it and revive it. Very cool. So what are some of the barriers you see to this? Like, why isn't everybody growing their own food? It it sounds so simple. You just get some compost, throw it in there, 
plant it, plant a seed. Some people, they don't know how, you know, so that's where it's really helpful to just like get some help, invest in some help, you know, go to a workshop, ask some people, ask people at a nursery what to do, you know, look online. And I think that for apartment dwellers or, or just when you don't have, when you just have the window box or you just have like the kitchen, you know, windowsill, still, you know, People still want to buy plants. They still want to connect with nature. You know, it's 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 in our soul. You know, it's part of our DNA to want to do that. I feel like, but it's been it's so pushed down. You know, it's really so pushed down. But like I said, if you're if you live in an apartment, you can always try getting a house plant. You know, you can always have like a pot of basil just on your windowsill for just like a week and enjoy it. You know, and give it to somebody to compost. You know, something like that. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So once you do these installs with your clients, how do they then maintain it? Or, you know, say for the do-it-yourself person, mm -hmm. once they've created this garden, how intensive is it? Like how time-consuming? How often do you have to replenish the fertilizer, say? Well, that's another reason why it's like, it can be, back to your previous question, but it's like why it can be prohibitive is that, you know, it can take a lot of time. You know, growing your food can take more time than we have in our busy Los Angeles lives. Um, but for somebody who's just put in a garden to replenish the soil, it's like, all you have to do is just like add some organic matter twice a year. So in Los Angeles, we have like two main kind of planting seasons for like a standard veggie garden, right? So we have like October, November for cool season stuff, you know, like your Swiss chard, your lettuces, your root vegetables, your kales and your other brassicas and cauliflowers and your onions and radishes and stuff like that and peas, right? And then in March, then we have our warm season, right? So that's when we have our tomatoes and our peppers and our squashes and our beans, things like that, cucumbers. So those are two kind of main seasons. So whenever you're planting, you just want to add a ton of organic matter, a ton of soil amendment, as much as you can, you know. And other than that, it's it's pretty easy. Some people want more hand-holding, which is fine, you know, which is absolutely fine. And some people just naturally kind of want to do it on their own. And either way, it's like a total journey. It's always fun. It's always fun. It actually sounds pretty easy when you say it like that. Twice a year, add yeah. some organic matter. I mean, mm -hmm. everybody can take a couple hours twice a year to put some organic yeah. matter in the soil. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And it depends on how much space you have. You know, if you have a larger area and you have fruit trees, um, you can always add, you know, three to four inches of bark mulch, you know, of just like wood chips and call an arborist and have them drop a load in your driveway and just, you know, spend the day shoveling it out or pay somebody to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. So of course I'm making it sound really easy. I'm like, you just add. You might be out of work it. pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> so what, like maintenance wise, like mm -hmm. watering is pretty straightforward. Is there any kind of food you need to put in the soil along with that or just your twice a year compost? Yeah, I always like to add, you know, like the amendments that are the soil additives that I mentioned before, you know, so mm -hmm. it's like I love neem, I love crab meal, azomite, um, humic acid, alfalfa meal, you know, so as many goodies as you can get into the soil, the better. In that twice a year. In that twice a okay. year, you know, um, refreshing, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and in terms of like irrigation, um, like I said, it's like I always re recommend drip irrigation. That's going to save you a lot of headaches, you know, especially for people that go out of town. Um, but for somebody who just maybe has like a few pots, like on their, on their back porch or something like that and that's how they want to start out with you know start off with um, I love to use Oyas and I always recommend Oyas so Oyas are these big um, ceramic vessels terracotta vessels it's an ancient form of irrigation using the ancient you know osmosis technique um, and so you just fill it with you bury them they're like big you know terracotta vases like I said you bury them fill them with water and the plants will just naturally drink as much wow. as they want. How yeah. cool is that? Yeah. So that's really easy. Just like an easy tip for people okay. to make it painless. And then weeding and pests, do you see that to be an issue or is that not as big a deal as some people might be afraid of? I think that people, um, 
people think that they they have this impression that it's like if there's a pest on their plant, then um, they've completely messed it up and their plant is unhealthy. Mm. And that's not entirely accurate. They're just, you really want a, a diversity. You know, you're looking for a diversity of pests and beneficial insects, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, um, so pests, it's like, you know what? You plant flowers, plant flowers, plant flowering herbs. You plant, you know, you plant things that are going to attract beneficial insects into your garden. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. so by planting flowers alongside mm -hmm. with food, yeah. it attracts beneficial insects that can yeah. maybe put into balance the, the ones that might attack exactly. the food. Exactly. Fascinating. Okay. So it's like if you're planting cilantro or you're planting any herb or anything in the daisy family, um, it's going to attract ladybugs, right? So the ladybugs are going to come in, they're going to lay their eggs, and their babies are going to go and they're going to eat up all the aphids. So you kind of don't have to worry about it. That's why it's like when I said, when you asked, what do you do about pests? And I'm like, I don't really do anything. Amazing. <laughs> like, well, because you know what just, to plant with what. Because it's just, it's yeah. going to get taken care of. You preventative know, planting. It's, yeah. it's preventative, you yeah. know, and it's just keeping things in balance, you know. So, so what are some of your favorite medicinal herbs and foods? I love for just like the standard kind of like backyard, you know, grower. Um, I love Tulsi. Um, Tulsi is a medicinal basil, right? Um, that's revered in India and it's an adaptogen. It's like super anti-stress, um, really easy to grow. Sometimes it dies out in the winter and that's fine too. Um, I love stinging nettle. It's a little bit harder to find it, but, um, but I grow it and I love, I love it when people grow it. It's wonderful for the soil as well too. So back to the biodynamic herbs that I was talking about, it's one of the, one of the herbs that is added to the compost. Um, but it's just that's a, same as nettles. Nettles. Yeah. Nettles, okay. stinging nettle. Yeah. Um, so I always encourage people to have just like a little patch of nettle, you know, and, um, I love lemon balm. Mm. Um, and these are perennials, right? So lemon balm is a perennial stinging nettle is a perennial. Um, lemon balm is just a wonderful soothing herb tea mm. that is just super, super relaxing and is great in part shade or full sun. So great in a pot, great in the ground. So it's good for anybody, you know? Mm. Um, I love lemon verbena too, which is a really relaxing tea. Um, but it's drought tolerant. So that's great for people who maybe they're going to beat up their plants a little bit and you go know, on they, vacation. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They need something that's a little bit tougher, you know, and I love it. It gets huge and it smells so wonderful. Um, so those are some of my favorites. And, you know, there's classics as well, too, like chamomile. It's so wonderful just to grow a little bit of chamomile. Mm. Um, calendula. I love calendula. Um some it's like good of, for your skin, right? Would it's you great for you. You can because it's an edible flower and you can make a tea out of it, you okay. know. So um, more on the practical side, like I, I love it when you can grow something that costs a lot of money at Lassen's, you know, or Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. It's like a box of calendula tea costs like $7 mm -hmm. or you can just grow it on your own mm -hmm. and it's really, really easy. So those are some of my favorites. Um, but I also, I love the classics too, you know, things like thyme. Thyme is a really wonderful medicinal herb. Mm. Same thing with oregano, you know, um, native herbs, you know, um, things like white sage. You know, white sage is really easy to grow. Yarrow is really fantastic. Um, even our California poppy. Like if you're growing California poppies, that's a really wonderful medicinal herb as well, too. And that's yeah. the, you would cook like with the seeds, the poppy seeds? You, I mean, you could make a tea. The easiest way to consume it would to be make it, you know, to make a tea out of like the leaves and the flowers. Mm. Yeah. So most of the things that I've mentioned are tea herbs. Okay. So I think that's really one of the easiest ways for most kind of like backyard growers and urban, you know, gardeners mm -hmm. is to consume something and to have a relationship with the plant is through tea. Right. Beautiful. So they can go and just harvest and you don't even have to dry it. You know, you maybe grab like three times the amount that you would in, you know, like or maybe like a tablespoon or two tablespoons of fresh leaves or flowers and steep it, you mm. know, so. Mm, that yeah. sounds so good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so your line, Spade and mm -hmm. Seeds, has some rare edible mm -hmm. plants that we maybe haven't even heard of. 
Uh, what are some of your favorites of them? I love things like, and this kind of, um, this kind of blends into like another one of the questions, but um, I love go-to cola. Mm. Go-to cola is like one of my favorites and, and I'm pretty practical. So I really encourage people to grow things that um, that you pay a lot of money for at a health It's an Ayurvedic store. herb, right? It is. It's yeah. an Ayurvedic herb and it's also used in traditional Chinese medicine. And um, it's a, it's a, it's a nootropic. It's like a, it's a brain herb. It's also like a skin herb as well too. But I love it because it's so easy to grow. It's completely user-friendly and I throw it into my smoothies like every day in the summer so it's really easy to grow yeah that's like probably one of my favorites they all kind of overlap and blend you Uh know um but I also love moringa moringa is like do you know moringa it's a it's a leaf we've been hearing more about it because it's like a superfood right it's a superfood yeah it's a super it's considered a superfood and again it's really a tree It's a tree or it can be like a large shrub. It depends on how you grow it, you know, Africa. It's like, it's native to India, but it's, it's grown in, it's used a lot in Africa. It's used a lot in, in Indian cuisine, right. In South India. And it's also grown in Mexico as well too. And, um, but it's just, and it's, it's so nutritious. It's good for everything, anything you can think of. And it's high in protein Mm. and it's really easy to grow and it's drought tolerant once established and you can keep it in a pot for a couple of years or you can throw it in the ground and in one year it will grow a lot it'll get really big yeah beautiful yeah Yeah. i've seen it almost like advertised as a multivitamin so high in iron i think it's so it's for everything and it literally it's like good for everything and it's just it's so nutrient dense yeah so Beautiful. Or is there, is there anything that I didn't get to that you'd like to share? Um, I can, you know, I'm like, I could go on and on talking about plants. Oh, please do. <laughs> <laughs> um, some of my other favorite um, sort of unusual vegetables um, that I offer and that I love so much and I use all the time, especially in the summer when it's like peak smoothie season. You know, I love Okinawa spinach, longevity spinach. Um I love I love French sorrel. French sorrel is always good to have around. Um, tree collards are really useful for people. They're perennial leafy green, you know, so all throughout the winter they produce massive quantities of leafy greens. Is it the same thing as a collard green? It's a, the perennial version of, of a collard green, right? So it just gives you so like a critical mass of of um of leafy greens, of vegetables, you know. Um what else? Mm, yeah those are some of my favorites and water spinach is that uh, or okinawa spinach is that different than regular spinach it is so spinach is just kind of a common name that Mm -hmm. is confusing for everybody you know so um that is it is definitely different than um than just regular spinach that we know um so you can always look at like the common name versus like the scientific name. Um, but like longevity spinach and Okinawa spinach, they're both perennials. And so, and I always recommend them to people because they're, they're fantastic for people who just have like a patio to grow in part shade, part sun. It doesn't even matter. They're just like super, super easy to grow. But you also mentioned water spinach. Mm -hmm. So water spinach or Kang Kong or Ang Choi, which are all the same thing. That's another one of my favorites as well too. Yeah. Just like it loves hot weather you know um and really good for your liver really good for detox and just super high in nutrients right yeah so. i was just at a thai restaurant for lunch that had water spinach with like today just garlic and chili yeah. amazing on the menu i didn't did you try have it, it? but I, did. I was like i'm not sure what that is <laughs> yeah yeah water that's water spinach and it's like you can grow it aquatically so it's great for people with aquaponic systems um or hydroponic systems or you can still grow it in the ground but it's and really it's drought delicious. friendly no, no it's but it not. just likes hot weather. It loves hot weather. Okay. So we like that because when things get really hot, um, a lot of our other crops just kind of poop out. Mm-hmm. So we want something to eat. 
So that's kind of one that fills that hunger gap along with another one of my favorites that I will have to give a shout out to, which is sweet potato leaves. So sweet potato leaves are super nutritious. They're more nutritious than the actual like sweet potato tuber, you know, than Mm. the actual root that we eat. And they're used a lot in Asian cuisine. So you can find them at the farmer's markets when the weather is a lot warmer. Um, And they're really easy to grow. You can just throw a sweet potato on the ground it's eventually going to grow and you can eat the leaves. There are certain varieties that are a little bit more tasty or have a kind of a better mouthfeel. Um, but that's one of my favorites and it's fantastic in hot weather. Yeah. Wow. Now, when yeah. you say you can throw a sweet potato in the ground, do you mean you can actually take a sweet potato that you bought from the market and plant it like you would plant a seed and it's going to grow these leaves? For sure. Yeah. That's wow. like the easiest thing that somebody can do. If they wanted to get a little bit more fancy, they could do like what we did in second grade and do like the sweet potato in the jar of water and get the sweet potato slip and then plant the sweet potato, the stem of like the sweet potato leaves. They could do that as well too. Um, but either way will work, you know? Fantastic. Yeah. And sweet potatoes are one of those, you can tell they're one of my favorite things ever to grow, but they're one of my favorites because, um, and this goes back to permaculture, right? And um, they are so, um, there's so many uses for a sweet potato and they do so many things, right? So you can grow them as like an edible ground cover for your tomatoes, and then you can harvest them at the same time when you take your tomatoes out. So like in October, November, when you're clearing out everything, you can pull out a whole bunch of sweet potatoes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm trying to follow this. So when you say edible ground cover for tomatoes, Mm -hmm. you're planting tomatoes and Mm -hmm. you have your sweet potatoes that you've planted alongside the tomatoes. Yeah, exactly. And so as the weather heats up and the tomatoes need a little bit of protection, right? So the sweet potatoes are going to, the leaves of the sweet potatoes are going to spread out and grow Ah. and they're going to protect the surface of the soil. Uh But at the same time, you're able to eat the leaves of the sweet potatoes all summer long, put them in your smoothies, saute them, and then in October or November, then you're gonna clear it, when you clear out your tomatoes, you're gonna lift out your sweet potatoes, so it's like more bang for your buck. And you get sweet potatoes. And you get sweet potatoes. Amazing. Yeah. The gift that keeps on giving. Exactly. (laughs) Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Loretta. This has been such an enriching conversation. Thank you so much for thank you yeah. so much for inviting me. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks for listening everyone. Visit us online at futurefood.fm. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or listen to us wherever you get your podcasts and put the power to save the planet on your plate and on your playlist. I'm Ivy Juiva.